Father, we just come to you, Lord, and we look to you, author, finisher of our faith. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Yes, Father, through it all, you've been there, Lord. Good times, bad times, when we are standing, when we have fallen, one thing constant in our life has been your merciful hand, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Once again, as we look into your word, I pray that your word will look into us and your spirit will keep moving us forward, Lord. Forgetting the things that are behind and pressing on to those things that are before us. What is before us, O Lord, is your second coming. And the church on earth has the only power, only the church has the power to hasten your coming. Help us to align with your purpose, Lord. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We are looking at the life of Moses and not studying the life of Moses for Moses' sake or to know more about Moses so that one day we can go to Israel and tell them about Moses. No, we are not doing any. This is not the study of the word of God. It's not an intellectual exercise though much of the intellect is involved in it, it is always a spiritual exercise saying, Lord, teach us. Because he is one of those, they say every cloud has a silver lining. Okay, But if you look at the cloud of witnesses, he is one big nugget. Okay, Big nugget in the old west when they went, I mean, they all went panning for gold. And if somebody found a nugget, they knew it was a strike. Okay? So if you get to know the truths of God in the life of Moses, it's not like other people in the Bible. He's one of those big chunks in the Old Testament. I mean, for me personally, I believe he is the, the man in the Old Testament. Like you have all the others, great men of God, women of God, but if there was one man who you could so closely identify with the life of Christ on earth, it is Moses. So we look at Moses, we look at (coughs) him having to wait 80 years before he could be chosen. And I also believe because the call of God upon his life, so big, so big. Because there's nobody else you look in the Bible whose life so closely resembles to the call of God in Jesus' life. Okay? Because he's practically the savior in the Old Testament who will go and bring somebody out from the dominion of Pharaoh, which is the dominion of Satan, and leads them. And uh, so that 80 years is not a waste if you look at your purpose. Okay? I mean, you have to look at purpose. The purpose of God, and then you realize the time God spends in preparing a person for that purpose is never considered waste. It's not waste. And so he has all this uh, I understand the 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 struggle Moses is facing also probably unconsciously is because of the enormity of God's call upon his life. So all his questions he has so many doubts and so many, let's put as questions, as basically objections. God says, you are the one I want to send. And he's trying to prove to God, I am not the one you should send. Okay? And every one of those objections are actually important. 
Okay, God does not have issues with questions, us asking questions, okay? He feels a sense of inadequacy, he feels he's unworthy, he's unfit, and to all his questions and objections, God's answer, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, remains the same. You know what? The answer is, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. All the way, till the end. And you will serve me here. And to the question, who are you? I am. That I am. No? And ultimately we realize that is the answer to life. Knowing God is eternal life. And to the question, what if they do not believe? No. Unbelief. His question is, all you need is what you have. All you need is what you have. Some people, in Moses' case, it was a rod. Some people, it is their mouth. In some people, it is the pen. You know, you've seen people, you know, if you look at them, what they did was nothing, just write a book. But that book was what God used in their life. But to write that book, you will realize what God had to put them through to write one book. To write one that book. But that one book changed the lives of millions of people and made them into missionaries. When this man wanted to be a missionary and never became a missionary. And all God did was hide him somewhere and make him write one book. Which created tens and thousands of missionaries. So you have to look at that. Now God says, what is in your hand? Okay. <clears throat> and then you will also see what he does with the proofs to Moses. That when he throws the rod, and the nature of the rod, okay, and he's actually also telling us that all these years, Moses, Satan exercised power over you. But when you are transformed by my power, you will exercise power over the enemy. Okay? Why are you hiding in the desert for 40 years? Because you are afraid of the Pharaoh's wrath. Okay? But when you go back, as I sent you with this very stick, Pharaoh will be afraid of you. It will not be the other way. The devil will be afraid of you. And not you of the devil. Okay? You will exercise power over the devil and set people free. Okay? And uh, he will. He says the three signs I will give you to prove to you. One is what the rod can do when it is surrendered to me. Second thing is that the power of a changed life. First time, when you went at 40, your people did not believe you. This time, they will believe you. They will struggle, but ultimately they will believe you. Why? Because that's the power of a changed life. This is not the same man. It's not the same heart or the same hand. Outwardly, it will look the same, but it is not the same. Because the heart has changed, the hand has changed. Okay? They will say, isn't this the hand that will uh, wield the sword? Nope. That looks the same to me. God says, nope. The heart has changed, therefore the hand has changed. And the third sign I will tell you is, for those who do not believe, you will turn water into blood. Okay? It is not that God will give you infinite time to believe. After that, there is a time set for judgment. So there is the power to bring out deliverance. 
there is the power of a changed life. And if these two don't work, God says, judgment will ultimately come. So to that, he says, I am not talented. Okay, I cannot speak. I cannot speak. That's what you see in 4 verses 11 and 12. 11 and 12. God's answer. So the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who made the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Okay. Have not I the Lord? He says, it doesn't matter what part of you that I'm going to use. Right? Whether it is your mouth, whether it is your ears, whether it is your eyes, it doesn't matter. Okay? Whatever it is that of you that I use, the rumba, it is I who created it. And look at what he says to his case in verse 12. Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth. Okay? In some case, in Samson's case, God is going to use his hands. And God is with his hands. He doesn't use his mouth. He can't use that fellow's mouth. If he uses his mouth, gone. Israel is gone. Okay? But he uses his hands. I'm with your hand. Okay? So you have to realize what is that. God is not using everybody the same way. Okay? Everybody the same way. In Joshua's case, God says, you know what, Joshua, I'm going to use your feet. Every place, the sole of your feet, right? You're the leader. You'll go. You won't be going like Moses. You'll be going differently. But I'm putting that power on your feet. You put your feet over there, the land is yours. You know why? Because I'll be with your feet. With Moses, I'll be with your mouth. I'll be with your mouth. So we have to look at it. Because we all want, we look at somebody and says, you want to be like that person. God says, no. I don't want you to be like that person. I want you to be you. I want you to be. Wait and get to know what I want you to be. And however I use you in your life, I promise you, I am sufficient for you. I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall. This is the problem. It's it's because is that the problem in the world is that everybody wants to be like somebody else. And God doesn't want you to be like somebody else. You know, somebody else. Lot of people take up music and 99% give give it up. <laughs> because they simply do not have that patience or that inherent talent was not given. But they look at somebody and they look at all that glory and pomp and everybody, everybody picks a guitar and pay through the nose for the guitar glasses. After some time, it is gone. Okay, it is gone. Okay, because, you know. Then they saw Virat Kohli and this thing and all and the parents and now thank God it is closed. Otherwise early in the morning when I am coming all the parents with their children and this big kid bag. Everybody wants to be a cricketer. No. And then after some time you see those same people have gone. No. The reason is <laughs> when Christians go that way there is a problem. The problem is when Christians go that way you are going in the way of the world. You and I don't have to be anything other than what God wants us to be. That's why God shut him down. He wanted, God had called him, but he wanted to be a general. He wanted to be a, God does not have generals in his kingdom. When he picks leaders, he has only shepherds. He's only shepherds. Moses is a shepherd. Joseph is a shepherd. David is a shepherd. He has only shepherd because he is a shepherd. The shepherd and the overseer of his flock. Okay, he is a shepherd. You need to realize that you have to look at what God is talking about and understand. God says, I am the father. 
So you need to realize he's a family man. So Lord, give me the, even if I am single and remain single all my life, give me the heart of a father because you are a father. Then he says he's the shepherd. And the shepherd who lays down his life for the flock, not of the one who runs away. So Lord, make me a shepherd after your own heart. Okay, after your own heart, not the other way around. So you have to look at what God is and then say, Lord, make me like that. Then it doesn't matter what you do. That what God calls you to do. Your heart is right in how you do it. Your heart is right how you do it. That's what I said when you look into, because young people, because you look at children and young men and fathers and young men are always fascinated by warfare and everything and all. But the, the warfare book in the Bible is uh, Joshua. And Joshua is not a father. Neither is a shepherd. Something, everything else he saw, but that Moses could not transfer it to him because you need to receive it from God. No? So Solomon is a great teacher. He's never the shepherd of Israel. He's always known as a teacher. Great teacher. The preacher, the teacher. It's not a father. It's not a shepherd. No. These are things which you have to... Which That's what Paul is saying. I don't want to be a teacher. I want to be a father. You will have 10,000 teachers. You see, the teachers doesn't have a stake in you. That's what he's saying. He teaches and goes up to you where you want to learn. Fathers have a stake in you. Shepherds have a stake in you. you know? So you have to ask, whatever God has called you to be, that is not what is important. Have the heart of God. So God is framing Moses according to his own image. So he says, I'll be with your mouth and you can speak. Okay, We are not called to speak on our own strength. God says, you, you don't have to worry about what to speak. The same thing in Mark chapter 13 and verse 11, God tells us too. When they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. You don't worry about that, God says. Don't worry about it. Because, you know, we prepare our prepared speech. You know, turning point in the USA and Phoenix, Arizona, in the church, you had the young people and uh, President Trump was speaking, he spoke well. And uh, there was a young girl who was called to speak. Okay, she also spoke well. But you could see she was nervous and she fumbled her papers. <laughs> okay? She fumbled her papers. So you could see the kid was nervous. And uh, no, that's what happened. That's okay. <laughs> First, you need to have your paperwork so that your thought is in order, everything, and all that is there. Okay, But you have to rely on the power of God. Rely on the power of God. Because without the power of God, you do not have the power to convince, to convict nothing. People will be intellectually stimulated. <laughs> Then after that they will pay for the wait for the stimulus check. Because nothing else happens. But when Peter spoke, the Holy Spirit moved. And God says that's what he's talking about. Don't worry. Don't worry. Okay? And one thing you need to realize is Moses is struggling. Really struggling. Which is a good sign. <laughs> it's a really good sign. Because he's coming to the end of flesh. Because 40 years earlier he was too sure. <laughs> And therefore, he had to be rejected of his brethren. Okay, brethren. Be, be, always be this thing. Now, when you are too sure, it is dangerous. Too sure you are dangerous. You will definitely go and God will let your foot slip. You know? 
Okay, and it is good to slip in the beginning and then learn to lean on God than to slip later. No. So you will see <coughs> Moses over there. Okay, and Moses is there and he is saying, Lord, uh, in verse 13, he still struggles, still struggles. Oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. He's really struggling. I mean, imagine, like, because we know so much theology and all that. Now God were to show three signs before us. We will run with it. He'll say, I'm ready, Lord. Okay, you have to look at this man. Okay. See, whenever you read something, whenever you read something, uh, be very careful that uh, don't bring our theology into their lives. Okay. Okay. Like we, we have a saying in English where we say, put yourself in the other man's shoes. Before you judge a person, put yourself in the other person's shoes and then you will realize, you know what, I am coming from somewhere else. The other person is coming from somewhere else. Okay, and sometimes my answer is not what they want. Answer is not what they want. Okay, so always. So God is incredibly patient with Moses. But remember this same Moses. It's not the Moses you see at 40. At 40, he was afraid. He ran. You know, Exodus chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptians? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. And Pharaoh heard about this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian and he sat down by a well. So he's now afraid of his own people and he's afraid of Egyptians. He was fearful. And he ran. He ran for his life. Okay. Because we need to realize faith can be exercised only when we are in God's plan and we have God's promises, we have God's power. And we are actually on God's time. Because the arm of flesh has only a certain level of strength. And then you meet the, the power of flesh, that is the Pharaoh, you will run before him. But in Hebrews 11, 27, it is not talking about Moses at 40. It's talking about Moses at 80 with the entire army of Egypt behind him. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. This is Moses not at 40, this is Moses at 80. He's not afraid. Okay? The difference between, that time he was prince of Egypt and he had a sword. Now he is shepherd of Israel with a rod. And he's not afraid at all. Because by now, he's established in God. Okay? And he leads with an army breathing at the back of his neck. 600 Iron chariots and the best handpicked men of the Pharaoh. Okay, so please remember this. It is useless, it is pointless to pray, increase my faith until we have fulfilled the conditions of faith. Teach me division. Do you know a subtraction? Do you know subtraction? 
No. Why is the point in teaching you division? What's the point in teaching you division? No. Until we are absolutely sure we are fulfilling the conditions of faith, God is not going to answer our prayer, increase my faith. Right? Because we saw last time, no, a plant will only grow when the conditions for growth are met. So will only faith grow when the conditions of faith are met. Okay? So, in the same token, it is useless to spend time regretting over our failures, which are due to the lack of faith. Okay. God is not interested in all those tears. He says, put it right. You see that in Joshua chapter 7 and verse 10. Lord said to Joshua, get up, why do you lie on your face? Lord, increase my faith. He says, what increase your what put your life right? And then, these are conditions of faith. These are conditions of faith. Okay. God says, put it right. <laughs> okay. I promised you, I am not going back on my word. I told you I will be with you wherever you go. I told you everything where you place. But I also told you to meditate upon my word day and night. Don't turn it from to the left or the right. So if you have lost, you have either turned to the left or to the right. I haven't gone back on my word. My word still stands. It's forever established. The condition of faith has not been met. So get up on your face. Don't lie there. Get up. Don't lie on your face. Stand up. You know. So God says, no, that's what he's trying. He's like, I'm no good. And God says, you're good. Good enough for me. Okay? Because often we make mistakes, follies, when we take our eyes off God and run in our own strength. And then we start thinking we are failures. Okay? That's what he's saying. Send somebody. Verse 13 and 14. Oh Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. And scripture says, God's anger was kindled against Moses. Okay, And he said, it's not Aaron the Levite, your brother. I know that he can speak well. And look, he's also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. God's anger was kindled. But the problem is that if you keep on asking, God will ultimately answer you. And God will answer his prayer this time. But notice, this is not God's perfect will for him. He slipped in one area to God's permissive will. He's rejecting God's perfect will because of lack of faith. Because his eyes were on his own weaknesses and not on God's strength. God already proved him, his strength. If only he had trusted God for his speech. Because the problem is the people are simple and illiterate over there. And they will see Aaron. And Aaron will receive a position he neither deserved nor worked for. Aaron was neither emptied nor filled. He was chosen only because of the reluctance of another. It's only just 
And he will one day lead Israel into idolatry. Well, Moses will lead Israel out of the land of idolatry. Aaron will lead Moses, sorry, Israel into idolatry. And one day he will stand and oppose Moses. And that was the beginning of the fall of Israel. And you know all where it happened? It's because you looked into yourself, not looked at God. And said, no, Lord, please send somebody. And God said, okay, I will. And we don't realize these are important decisions which big people have made in God's word. One decision David makes to go into the Philistine camp and live there for 16 months. It will cost him seven years to sit on the whole throne of Israel because people don't trust him. How can you trust somebody who was running with the enemy? They don't trust him. It will take him seven years to win the trust of all of Israel. Because of one decision he took. Because why? He took his eyes off God. You know. Elijah takes his, Elijah takes his eyes off God, runs, and wants to die, doesn't complete the work he was called to do, though he was anointed for that purpose. Anointed to run faster than the king's chariot. And that will cost Israel years and years and years and years of Ahab Jezebel rule. Are we getting the picture? Basically what is he saying? In verse 13, if you look at it, what is he saying? Oh my Lord, please send by the hand whomever else you may send. In other words, his heart is saying, meaning I'm only, I'm going only because I'm compelled. You have hedged me in. I have no option. Okay, I have no option. Okay. Further down the line, he will change. But that's not how, uh, the disciples when they were called left. They left cheerfully everything. Even Saul of Tarsus. And God is saying in the new covenant, when God calls you, how do you leave? Reluctantly? I have no choice. I have been hedged now every side, left side, right side, back. I cannot move anywhere. It's like Israel crossing the Red Sea. They cannot go anywhere. There is only one sea side left. He says, is that how you respond? You know? But thank God, no, even there God is with us. No? Because God is looking at the Picture. Why does God call reluctant people still? Because he looks at the big picture. And the big picture is the salvation of souls. That's the big picture. Why does God use unwilling, reluctant men and women who always look back or drag their feet? What's the big picture? It's the salvation of souls. Yes, one day many of those people will change. And they too will set their face like a flint towards God's purpose. And if Moses will one day lead the captives out of Egypt. God will give him a word of comfort. Exodus 4.19 Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go, return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. You know the Pharaoh? He's changed. His son is sitting on the throne probably. And all the people who knew you and were after you, who were so mad, jealous about you and were looking for an opportunity to turn against you and they got that opportunity, they sought your life, all of them are dead. No? Remember this, God will always give a word of comfort. No? He does to Abraham. 
He does to Isaac. He does to Jacob. He always has a word of comfort. Don't worry. Even toward the end of his age, he will tell, go, go to Egypt. Don't worry. Joseph will put you to sleep. He will close your eyes. Okay? Please understand this. It's only when we are ready to obey and willing to obey, further revelation will come. He doesn't tell him all these things in the beginning. Moses, here I am. Moses, all the people who sought you are dead. Nothing to Why should he give you all the information if you're not ready? Revelation of God is progressive. No? Revelation of God is progressive. As you obey, as you obey, go to verse 28 to 23. Yeah. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I shall say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed I will kill your son, your firstborn. Right? He didn't tell him what all he has to say in the beginning. No, his revelation is coming. No, you will, Lord, tell me what to preach, then I will go. He says, first you go, I will tell you what to preach. Sometimes we think our, uh, our, uh, demands are, uh, <laughs> demands are uh, very legitimate. God says no. It's simply a lack of faith. No? Lack of faith. Go further. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment, the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Okay. Okay. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone, cut off the foreskin of her son, cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. Okay. So he let him go. And then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. Psalm 119, verse 105. You all know this. I wrote it in the friend of my Bible 30 years ago. Your word is a lamb to my feet and a light to my path. Okay? Your word is a lamb unto my feet and a light unto my path. Okay? If it is Dark, absolutely dark. Imagine, that's what it means. Absolutely to the dark. And you're walking with the lamp. You don't shine like this. You shine like this. You're not looking into the future. You want to look where your foot will go next. Okay? Where your foot will go next step. And that's what you need to realize. You and I are walking in the light, but we are hemmed by darkness. Every step forward is an act of obedience. Do what is revealed by the light. I go like this, and I see a ditch. Okay, I stop. Then I see how do I cross. I don't look farther. I look, okay? And as I cross the ditch, I see the next step. The walk of faith, in some ways, is like the walk of sight. Okay? Obedience to the light is key, both to further revelation. Okay? 
But if we disobey the light we have been shown, it will lead to death one day. That's what Samuel, for Samuel and verse 20, 28, 6. Or 20. Yeah, 28, 6. Yeah, when Samuel inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams, by Urim or the prophets. Why didn't he answer him? You were not obedient to the light you were shown. And now in this darkness you are saying, show me great light. What's this? No. What about those things in the past? What about all those things in the past? You know? And what was the case? In his case, disobedience. And what was the ultimate result? Destruction, death. Please understand this. Also young one sitting over there, Ajay. You cannot ignore what you already know and then try to walk with a holy God. Okay, holy God. If you turn to Genesis chapter 17, verses 9 to 14, God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant and you and your descendants after you throughout their generation. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. It shall be a sign of covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendants. He who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised and my covenant shall be in flesh for an everlasting covenant. The uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. There's no turning away from such clear instructions. Okay. Call of God is there. The purpose of God has been defined. Power of God has been given. But let me ask you, Moses. Does that give you license not to obey what you know you should obey? Is this uncircumcised? Is this uncircumcised? Now we'll ask this question, but why didn't God tell him in the beginning? But he knows it already. <laughs> Does God have to tell you stuff which you already know? Now all of you sitting here, leave Ajay aside. All of the older people sitting over here. Do we have to give you, teach you the doctrine of baptism? Do you have to? And suddenly you come and say, Pastor, the Lord God has called me and I want to. And I say, good. And then I ask you a question. Were you baptized? And you say, no. I said, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You're not baptized? And you want to come into ministry? This is basics. Bible college is not basics. Baptism is basic. It's an everlasting covenant. You're getting ready. You took your wife, your two sons. No, You look there. Isn't that what is written? He took his wife, his two sons, put them on a donkey. 
right? Go up. No, go uh, uh, up 23, 22, 23, yeah. Yeah. Moses took his wife and his sons. Now, did God tell him to take his wife and his sons? God didn't tell him to take his wife and sons. This is his own decision. We will understand this issues if you look at it closely. He has lived there in that house. He is, Zipporah is the boss. So he said, I am going to Egypt. She said, I am also coming. She's a Gentile. Practical, all practical purpose, she's a Gentile. The sons are not circumcised or the second one is not circumcised. I don't know what the issue over here. It is not done. And they're getting out. But God is looking at the... Where are you going, Moses? To deliver Israel. And what about your company? Do they have the mark? Like you know, People will always ask, you know, you remember in the old days before... Pandemonium, no, pandemic came before pandemic came. They would text me and ask, Pastor, can I bring this person for the fasting and prayer? And I would say, no. One, they are not from our church. And fasting and prayer is a spiritual warfare. Even when Abraham went on his battle to save Lot against five armies, he picked up 318 servants. There's one thing mentioned over there. Born in the household. Because when you are going to battle, you are not looking for numbers. You are looking for loyalty. The first thing you want to see is loyalty. That's why God uses the uh, the leadership of the Philistines to turn uh, David off. Because they said, we cannot trust him. We are going to fight Israelites. All these years it's okay, but now we are going to fight Israelites. And he's an Israelite. And remember, this is the guy who killed our champion. You can't trust him. What if in the middle of the war, they are coming against us and he turns against us? He may be the best set of 600 fighting men you have, but that's not the key. The key is we want people who are loyal. That's what's happening in the U.S. You know, see, this man came from outside. He was not a politician. He had no political connections at all. So he came into the presidency, the top seat. Where does he pick people who have experience? He doesn't know anybody. So he picks people and he don't realize everybody has their own agenda. See, every person, when they're in the position of leadership, the first thing you want is people, not only those who are smart, but also those who are loyal. You may have the smartest man in your side, like Ahitophel, but when the table turns, you turn against him and try to betray him. And that's exactly what happened to President Trump. And if he wins, and I believe he'll win, whatever the polls are in 2020, if he wins, I believe second term will be incredibly different, that he will have a set of people who are vetted, and not because of their skills or anything, people who are actually loyal to the cause. The cause is to bring that nation back again, not make America great again, but first make America godly again. And then it will be great. We don't. No person should be great without being godly. You will be like Alexander, you are great, and when you are dying, you are dying like a pauper. Put my hands out, I came with nothing, going with nothing. What did you achieve? Nothing. Okay. But it does not matter if you are godly. Then you will say, I have finished my race and I see what is reserved for me. You are not only great, you are godly too. And that godliness, greatness is forever. Because you get a crown that is imperishable. 
So we have to look at that, no? And we have to pray him through. He's a simple man. I mean, he's not a believer in the classical sense and at all, but he's God's appointed man. And you look at all these pictures falling into this thing, is that, you know what? Loyalty matters. Even in your family, loyalty matters. One of the reasons God says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, even in a marriage, is the first thing you want in a marriage is loyalty. You want somebody who will be, you, you, you cannot pull in two directions. So in a marriage, in a nation, in an organization, everything, you have to be loyal to one particular cause. Okay, and the cause is the kingdom of God. The husband and wife are equally loyal to this cause. And once both of them are loyal to that cause, whatever issues you have, the issues can be resolved because the cause is bigger than the issues. But when they don't have a cause, when they have not a cause, and even though they both are Christians sitting before you, you cannot counsel them. Because you realize they are not motivated by the cause. They just name say Christians. Then the issue becomes big. That's why when David is being humiliated by his own brothers, he turns away. He says, isn't there a cause? Isn't there a cause? The cause is bigger than our rift in the family. Come on, brothers. I'm not going to fight with you. I'm not going to pick an argument over here. Let's just walk away because there's a cause. And you need to realize these things are important. The cause is important. Okay? And then, uh, if, you, if, you, if you disagree, you still fall in line. You fall in line with the leader. Okay, you may have your disagreements, but once a decision has been taken, you fall in line with the leader. Okay, that's what they didn't do. They all stabbed him from the back. Everybody stabs, you know, and what are, they all look like idiots. At the, at the end of the day, what is Michael Cohen and John Bolton and all ending up in history? They don't, it has, has nobody and nothing in history. Because you know, they will be always known as traitors. Traitors. Nobody will trust them. Neither side will trust them. And you need to realize this is one of the issues in life. You know, like Itai said, where do you go, I go. Where you die, you die. One thing is that, you know, I'm loyal to you. And if you're loyal, I don't agree, shut your mouth and walk away quietly. You know, walk away quietly. And people don't understand these are fundamental principles in God's kingdom. Because when you try to write something because you are overzealous about it, you are saying, I am going to do God's work, which he won't do. God says, I am in control always. I don't need your help. I don't need your help. I don't need your help. I will correct the wrongs. I will correct the wrongs. And you will see these things consistently playing out right from the beginning. And that's why God said, you know what? Moses, I told you to speak. Let your brother speak. Brother is not loyal to the cause. When you are absent, God already sees. This guy will buckle under pressure and give the people what they want. They're forgetting the cause. They're forgetting the cause. And that's what happens. Okay. The next generation is there. They've crossed the Red Sea. Sorry, the River Jordan. They've crossed and they are ready and roaring to go. God says, wait. Joshua chapter 5, verses 2 to 3. No, 5, 2 to 3. The Lord, that, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourself. Circumcise the sons of Israel again, second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of Orchid. Wait a second, Lord. Lord, 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 Lord. 
Now we have our collective history of what happened in Sishem. No, we circumcised all those people and then two people came in and killed everybody, Lord. You should have told this before we cross River Jordan. Our enemies are right in front of you. These guys will take three years. Lord, this is not a good, this is not a good idea, Lord. No questions asked. When God tells you to do something, you need to realize the power and the provision and the protection to guard what he has said is all comes along with it. And God says, you are raring to go, you are ready, you've seen the miracles and all, but my covenant doesn't change. Okay, if you're going to fight, this is going to be a first battle in the promised land. If this is the land I promised, and this is the land you're going to conquer, this is the life you're going to inherit, where's the sign of the covenant on your young people? It's a sign of the people. Okay. How can an uncovenanted people take the land of the covenant? Okay. So you're going into with great zeal, you're going into Egypt to deliver the people of the covenant, but your son doesn't have that mark. Foolish man, you should have left your wife and children at home and gone. That's what you should have done. You don't have to drag them along. So God says there are no excuses. Look at look at the things and say, Lord, these are things which I know. There are things which I know. And I what I can do, I need to do. And faith does not make excuses for that. Let's look at a simple example. We look at the Beatitudes. Okay, we don't have to go over there. Blessed are the poor in the spirit. That's a process. Take time. Blessed does the moon. Okay, that's also a process. Right? Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. That's a process. Blessed are the merciful. Is that a process? No, it's not a process. So did you do that? Lord, all this beatitude. He says, leave all that beatitude. I know it will take, but there's one which you can keep, and which you have to keep every day. Did you keep that? Mercy is something which you receive and extend every day. Did you do that? Lord, make me poor in the spirit. He says, that I will do. But did you extend mercy? Because a lot of people write to me, I want to be humble like Moses. It will take time. But the question is, did he extend mercy? No? Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. Then he said, go into the, all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. The question is, you believed? Yeah. Did you get baptized? No, I'm waiting for the right time. What is this right time? When will you be right for baptism? Did he get baptized? Acts 8, verse 36 to 39. And they went down the road. They came to some water. The eunuch said to, said, here is, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? What hinders me? Philip said nothing. I can't get into your heart and check the, if you think you are ready, I'll baptize you. I've explained to you the fundamentals. This is what salvation is. It's a salvation that comes from faith and faith in Christ alone. Do you follow? Oh, believe in the work of Jesus Christ? Yes. And only in that? Yes. Get baptized. In the chariot on that trip, he gave him a baptism lesson. He gave him a lesson which he did not realize was a baptism lesson. He believed. 
What did they have to stop? Nothing. They stopped. Verse 6. Yeah. 38-39. He commanded the chariot to stand still. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord took caught Philip away so the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way. He preached, he believed, he baptized and he pastor, God took the pastor away. Acts chapter 9, verse 17 and 18. Ananias went his way, entered the house, laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. He received his sight at once and arose and was. <laughs> a different guy. <laughs> See, this is a Pharisee, but he has heard the gospel very well. He didn't believe in it. He heard the very well. But in three days he saved everything. Eyes are open, filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, baptize me. He baptized. So God says, did you believe? Did you obey the things which you know that you should obey? You know? Acts chapter 10, verses 47 and 48. Can anyone forbid water that this should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Acts chapter 16, verse 14 and 15. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul spoke. God opened and she heard. When she and household were baptized... It's so simple. They heard, they believed, they were baptized. Okay. Then she said, please, will you come to my house and stay? Okay. He says, yeah, I have no issues. I like living with baptized people. Because <laughs> I know you're a Christian now. 29 to 33. This is now prison. He called for a light, ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them to the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. You see? See, they were very, very simple. Therefore, they heard and they grew and they continued. The problem is there are a lot of Christians who have heard, believed, and won't get baptized. Saying that I, I got baptized before I believed. That is enough. And God says, it simply doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. He says, if you hear, hear, you believe, you get baptized. And they're blocked. They're sticking over there. And then they all jump into ministry like Moses. And God has to stop him. So God says, what stops you from obeying God's simple instructions? First Samuel chapter 15, verses 22-23. So Samuel said, has God great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? Is God interested in your great sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, uh, 22 is here. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than. And Moses is starting with his great sacrifice, taken his wife and put his two children on the donkey and going to deliver. He said, God says, you know what? I don't want your sacrifice. I want your obedience. You are not obedient to what you already know. I told you five, six different things now. That is all connected with your mission. But did you obey what you heard from your forefathers? No. You cannot shirk a responsibility 
The man cannot put them on his wife, nor can she take it away from the man. And they are in the midst of the desert, and they are facing literally life and death. Okay, if you go back there, okay, go back there. Chapter 4. It came to pass on the way, at the encampment, some break, you know, where they had to stop, that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Sounds so strange, right? After this great commissioning and all these miracles and all, why would he kill your messenger? But God says, we miss these important details. God says, you miss out, you're so gung-ho about the call, that you miss the details about the person who called you. There is a person and there is a call. In the world, the person doesn't matter. Only the call matters. Mm -hmm. And we get so obsessed by the call and we attach so greatness to the call, not to the person who called The person is holy. And if we listen carefully to the call, we will understand the problem was we did not listen to the call carefully. Exodus 19 and verse 4. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Actually, the one who did it was Moses, through Moses. Okay, But God said, it's I who did it. How I bore you on eagle's wings. That also we like. And brought you to? Brought you to? Oh. Moses was not said, go to Egypt and deliver my people from the captivity of Pharaoh and let them loose. No. Bring them to me. Bring them to me. We look at all that Moses did to the Egyptians. We are fascinated by the outworking of the power. And we forget the purpose. The purpose was to bring our people to himself. A lot of preachers make that same mistake. And Paul tells us, right? In Corinthians 11.2, this is the purpose of ministry. Pastors, don't forget. This is the purpose of ministry. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Did you get it? 11, 2, first, right? Second, second, yeah. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste to virgin to Christ. A lot of pastors, what I have done, and this are, many of them are fake pastors. They got the people out of the bondage of sin and then let them loose into the world. Let them loose into the world. They did not bring them to God. Freedom from slavery to sin has purpose. Verse 22 and 23. 4.22 Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son. My firstborn. First identity is given. Who am I? 
the God of Hebrews. Who is Israel? My son. So I say to you, let my son go. No, it doesn't stop there. That he may serve me. Why are we set free from the slavery of sin? To serve God. If you don't save God, you go back to Pharaoh. You go back to Pharaoh. There's a verse in the book of Amos. It's an interesting verse. Amos. Small, small, minor prophets will have one startling verse in the middle of it. Amos 3 2. You only have known of all the families of the earth, and if it is only there, we'll say, Hallelujah. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. That's our God's family. You look at all the nations of the world. No nation has been spanked black and blue like Israel. Nobody says, you are my nation. Okay? And then, if you look at the sufferings, no people suffer like Christians do. And we don't realize what is the reason. God says, the more his eye is on us, the more he will discipline us. The more we bear fruit, the more he will prune us. The more precious the metal, the more we are to dig, willing to dig deep for it. Right? Ask of him daily. Lord, is there something displeasing in me in your sight? Take it out. Don't matter. Doesn't matter how painful it is. Okay, so in the desert, in that encampment, whatever stop it was there, suddenly in the middle of it, the wailing of a child rises in the desert. Probably a furious, angry, unbelieving wife. Okay, he's about to die and she's looking at him and saying, what is this? What is this, Narak? You are dying and you are really sick. You are shivering. You are about... What is happening? You told me your God appeared to you, spoke to you from a burning bush and is given this great call and all the power and sign and miracles. You are dying. What happens? And he knows. He says the child is not baptized. It's not circumcised. I believe he circumcised the first one. And it was a very painful thing. And Zephora said no more. No more. We are not going to do this to my son. Because it doesn't say she circumcised his sons. It says his son, the second one. Maybe he's a newborn baby too or a small little fellow and they are going. You know? So suddenly in the desert, it's very, I mean, we don't understand God's ways. Now, I mean, what does it matter, Lord? After all, you have commissioned him. He's going. Now, these things can wait. No, God says, no, there are certain things that cannot wait. Lord, just use me, Lord. Please, Lord, use me. I am ready. I went to Bible college and all. But you are not baptized. How does it matter? God says, it does matter to me. Because, one, I have spoken. I don't take it back. Second, you have an enemy in the realm too, the accuser of the brethren. You know what? From the time you spoke to your wife and stepped outside your house, I have been hearing, there is no covenant. There is no covenant. There is no covenant. He's accusing you. Accusing. Accusing. No covenant. No covenant. No sign. No mark. Okay? This is the old covenant. But people of the old covenant, the old covenant matters. 
So flesh and blood should not stop us from obeying what God has told us. What matters is, what does God want you to do? What does God want you? So she had to take a sharp stone, cut off the foreskin of sun, cast it at Moses' feet, so you can know that she's mad. She's mad. I mean, otherwise people won't do stuff like that. She's mad, so there is the wail of a child and the shriek of a mother. And what the scripture says is very simple. So he let him go. How simple is so he let him go? Is there something that is blocking in your life? If you remove it, God will let you go. The call of God, you can go forward. The call of God is upon everybody's life. What is that you need to let go so that he can let you go? It's simple. Very simple. How many letters? Five letters. So he let him go. But otherwise he's not going to let him go and he would have killed him. Or maybe they would have gone back until he recovered. And then he realizes, I can't go forward until this is done or I go alone. I go alone. We need to ask ourselves these things because this is this is about God. Don't get so overwhelmed or fascinated by the call and the purpose. Remember who has called you. You know. And look at immediately the narrative, verse twenty seven. And the Lord said to her, Immediately God will speak to those who have been called to serve you with you, along with you. Though he had told her, he hasn't spoken to Aaron yet. See, God always speaks in a tense which is always now. But he hasn't spoken to Aaron yet. Aaron hasn't, he said, Aaron on your brother is on the way. But he hasn't even started. Because he hasn't even spoken. He hasn't spoken because there is one block. Lord, who will help me? God said, don't worry about it. A lot of people to help you on the way. But I cannot speak to them until you have let go of things which I told you to let go. Lord, I'm the only one, Lord. God says, one, there are 7,000 who haven't bent their knees. So your this thing is wrong. Second, you go, there's a guy. You don't know him, but I know him. You put a mantle upon him, and I'm telling you, he'll finish your work. As soon as we let go of things which God tells us to let go, God will also show us the resources we need to continue with that call. He's able to speak further. No? And we do not realize my disobedience of letting go of something which I know I should let go can hinder God's purpose in other people's lives who have to be joined with me to fulfill that call. God is waiting to speak to Aaron, but God cannot speak to Aaron because Moses has not let go of something which he needs to let go of. There is something silent over here, but I believe Moses sent his wife and his children back. He didn't take them with him to Egypt. Because he suddenly realizes mission trip, this is going to be a huge stumbling block. If you read uh, Exodus chapter 18 verses 2 to 5. Exodus 
Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was camped at the mountain of God. You look at this man's obi, I mean, there are little things over there, man's obi, he sent his family back. Okay. And when he brings his people, he doesn't go on the way, take her out to his father-in-law's house. He goes to take some straight to the mountain God had told them. And he brings his family to the mountain. Think about it, right? You went to, uh, let us say, let us say, Apukuti is sitting over here, okay? Let us say, uh, you have been sent to Kakanada. Okay? Go to Hyderabad and come back to Kakanada. And then when you go come back to Kakinada, you realize Narasapuram, my house is so close. But the instruction is come to Kakinada. Now I'll just go to, uh, no, just go to Narasapur, just show my head, eat two shrimp and then go to Narasapur. <laughs> hmm? Little detour. Moses doesn't do that. Moses doesn't do that. And you need to look at this in part because he's learned now that when you listen to God, you listen to God carefully and obey his instructions carefully. Carefully. You know? Because in the instructions, you don't hear, uh, you don't hear, take your wife and your children. He said, you go. You go. And your brother is coming. He didn't talk about his wife. He's married to an uh, unbeliever. Okay. She's not an Israelite. So, these are issues that will happen to men who were married, then God saved, then God calls them, and they look and say, okay, I love you, I love my children, but the fact is that you haven't become part of my faith. God is calling me. So, you stay home, I will go. I will go. You come back, but you don't take them with you in ministry. No, I want to come along. No can attend church, but you cannot be a part of my ministry. You can attend church. That's a different thing. You cannot be part of my ministry. First Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 5. Do we have no right to take along a? Underline believing. Because they are living in those first stage. There are unbelieving wives too. Do we have no right to take along a believing wife as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? So they only took their believing partners with them. Unbelieving they didn't take. They didn't take the unbelieving. I mean there were all kinds of cases. You You know in the Corinthian church, all these churches there were cases. The Bible is very, very careful. So the the rule does not change for Moses or Paul. Because this is God's work. God is not asking you to leave your wife or leave your family or any of He's not asking you any of this thing. He says don't take them along in your ministry. And people get upset when I counsel this way. <laughs> no? Because there are a lot of people caught in that kind of positions. I tell them, don't take them. Leave them alone. Leave them alone. 
I know you love your children. But they are not saved or they are backslidden. Take them out. Take them out of the worship team. Don't put them over there. Don't put them over there. This is a holy place. This is a holy place. Don't put them over there. Don't trifle lightly with the things of God. You are harming them. You are putting them in harm's way. That's why you will see in verse 27 to 28, if you go over there, suddenly the narrative changes. Why? Because there is obedience, there is separation, and the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went, met him on the mountain of God, and kissed him. So Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who was sent him, all the signs which he commanded him. Right? Suddenly everything changes. And when we reach a block in our ministry, in our walk with God in our ministry, and nothing seems to be moving, we need to also ask God, Lord, is there something I need to let go of? Am I still carrying something which you do not accept? He said, thus, thus far only you can go with this burden. With this, after this, it cannot. You need to let go. Lord, she's been with me for 40 years. I know. She's been with me 40 years. I know. I appreciate all that. But were you able to transfer your faith to hers? No. Your burden to hers? No. Does she know the cry of my people in Egypt? No. Is she moved by that? No. Why take somebody along who does not have the burden for the call of God in your life? Leave them at home. And don't put unnecessary pressure. Don't tell them, pray for me. You don't want your unbelieving spouse praying for you. No. Love them. Be kind to them. Believing and trusting one day the kindness of God will turn them to repentance. No. Because it's not an easy thing. They may resent your God because they look at and realize, you know what, now I need to compete with his God for this man. Forty years I had him at under my thumb. I tell him, jump, he jumps. It else ask me how high. Okay? You will not circumcise my son. He says, okay ma'am. But now, he says, I'm going. I'm sending him back to your father's house. I'm going. And when will you come back? I don't know. Are you coming back straight home? No. Where are you going? To the mountain. And then? Are you going to stay here? No. Where? You're going to the promised land. Are you sure? Very sure. What about me? It's your choice. You want to come along or not. But I have made my way. The call of God supersedes everything. She suddenly realized. And people, you know, are telling you about actual cases. Cases of husbands and sons and all, no? Son or a husband. Real, real cases. Either case, okay? Imagine a mother has a son or a husband who's an alcoholic or a son who drinks. They come and she has to clean him up and spank the fellow twice on his face and everything and all and she's okay. One day he comes up absolutely sober and says, Mom, what happened? I've become a Christian. What? I've become a Christian. I'm no longer a Hindu. I'm no longer a Muslim. Get out. Because they know they have lost them. I don't care you are drunk. You're still mine. I still have control over you. When a person really comes to the Lord, everybody knows control is gone. And they resent it. Because the demonic, the flesh that operates, the demonic operates through control. 
When a man, the day he turned aside and looked and heard God's voice, everybody's control over him was going. No man would control Moses again. Absolutely impossible to control that man. Yet God will control him to the absolute. And that's why he says, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Because a believer understands and says, you know what? I need to release. I need to release. I need to release. You know, there is the Ten Commandments. There is this scene, okay, it's a movie, scene, where the princess who loved Moses and Zipporah meet. And when they meet, Zipporah tells the princess, you lost him when he went in search of his God. I lost him when he met his God. What a statement that was, okay? Now we understand, those days we are sitting there, Ten Commandments, we are more concerned about the sea parting and all the dialogues didn't sink into us because we didn't know the word. Now we know the word, we understand what depth that word had, right? You lost him when he went in search of his God. And I lost him when he found his God. Okay, And these are realities. That, that does not mean the man has become meaner or anything. He's probably more kind and more patient. But they don't, like, they don't want that. The control is gone. No, control is gone. And it is right there in the flesh. Right there in the flesh. When he is small, we are tickled by it. But it is flesh and it is actually a sign of selfishness. Because that's how a child is born. And you have to get that out of that child. No, my little Matulika, remember? Na papu. Na papu. Oi. Na papu. <laughs> one day, one of the, you know, Rupa staff, one, she looked at uh, Matulika and said, Na papu. She said, Oi, go away. <laughs> told her, Na papu. She wouldn't let anybody call me papu. You know? Now he finds it very cute. But think about that person growing, growing, and then that person gets married. And that's my husband, my husband. I will not let you do anything outside my will, my husband. And then God calls him. Okay. And we we think about control and possessiveness as love. It's not love. It's demonic. It's demonic. It's demonic. And that's what has happened here. A lot of... People struggle with this. You know, parents struggle with it. And they say, that's better. Even if he gets it wrong, he comes back to me. But if he becomes a Christian, he's gone. That's what the Chinese government and everybody says. You know, One Chinese Christian, one less Chinese. Less Chinese. Less Chinese. That's what is happening over here. Immediately you will see Things start falling into play. Tuck, 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 tuck. So Zephora is just a type. It's not asking men to leave their wives or anything. It's not talking about it. It's talking about situations in life. Because Zephora may have left. In verse 26. But in 27, Aaron comes. Flesh and blood will leave you. Only when flesh and blood leaves you, God can move you to the next level of spirit. There are eyes. God speaks. Leave. There are eyes. Abraham's father dies. The next sentence, next verse is Genesis 12, 1. God gives all the promises. 
And then he's there, fine. In the call of God, nothing has come into Abraham's life. He's still doing what everybody does. Okay, promised land is nice. Okay, thank you, Lord, for the blessings, O Lord. Like a believer came in, blessings, thank you, Lord. I'm prospering, Lord. Everything is good, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Then there is trouble. And because of the trouble also, he tells, Lord, now you take first chance. Fellow takes first chance and moves up immediately, scripture says, after Lord left. God says, lift up your heads and look. Next level comes. Next level comes. Ishmael goes. Next level comes. Isaac is put on the altar. Isaac is spirit, but for Abraham it is flesh. In his heart, he is attached to Isaac. Because he's put it on the altar. As soon as he does and rips it like next level comes. And if you look at Abraham's life, after that, there is nowhere to go. He's reached his pinnacle. Scripture says his faith has been made perfect. He's the author and the perfecter of faith. Now, after that, where do you go? Where do you go? You can't go anywhere. That's you reach your point. Okay. But every time he has to let go before he will have the next revelation. And that's what is happening here. Zipporah goes, Aaron comes. Zipporah represents flesh. Aaron represents here, type-wise, the spirit that will be joined to Moses. Who will aid him for the purpose of God to go forward? Zipporah could have been a help, a believing wife. She could have chosen to be a believing wife. And she could have been the one and say, Abraham, sorry, Moses, are we going to, the, to get your people out? Yes, but we haven't circumcised the younger one. It's not that choices were in there. People choose to go against revealed knowledge. She could have said. But we, we circumcised Gershom. Eliezer is not circumcised. She said, I'm coming with you. And Eliezer is coming with us without being circumcised. And God said, stop it. Stop it. Okay. It is not that the other person did not have choices. The other person had choices, but went against revealed knowledge. Revealed knowledge. Because she definitely, if Gershom was circumcised, she definitely knew what circumcision was and what it meant. And at the end of the day, she's a Midianite. They also know about Abraham. They may not have circumcised further down. They, they went into paganism and everything and did not bother about circumcision. But they knew. And that's what God is talking about. And verse 28. Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. Commanded him. Okay, It's as simple as that. Verse 28 and all. We don't just do it. We read it over it fast and go away. But the simple thing is that God has spoken to you and you go to that person. You don't have to speak anything other than what God has spoken. And do anything other than what God asked you to do. The simple thing is that everything rests on that. You can stand on this can bank your life on this. Nothing more. I mean, I don't need one more. It's all a help if it is connected with that. But other than that, this, you don't need anything more. He just told him. He just told him what God told. Nothing else. And we'd never have to worry about God's side. He's always faithful to what he has said. All we have to do is be careful about our side. Am I walking in the light so far revealed to me. Okay, it may seem very little to us, 
What does circumcision matter? Anyway, I am circumcised. My eldest one is circumcised. This is a little fellow. God says nothing like that. What did I say? How many days old is he? Eliezer. It's five days. It's okay. Six days. It's okay. Seven days. It's okay. Eight days. You have to circumcise him. You know exactly what I told your forefather. On the eighth day. So Bible will say on the eighth day, Jesus also was taken. God did not make a concession for Moses. God did not make a concession for his own son. He was born of woman under the law and circumcised on the eighth day. Okay, because he's born under the, we are not born under the law. So we don't have to worry about it. We have to worry about what are we supposed to do who are born under grace. See that you have been baptized. See that you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You cannot go over there and say, Lord, I went to church, I fasted, prayed, everything in my life was such a failure. He said, why didn't you get filled with the Holy Spirit? Why did you believe somebody else's doctrine instead of not looking into my word? I told my disciples, my apostles who walked with me for three and a half years, do not leave Jerusalem until you receive power. Without that power, you will never be my witness. It's right there, right? It's written right there. And you saw every space through the Bible, through the book of Acts, people getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Why didn't you believe? That's why you failed. So don't blame me. The power was available for you if you believed, but you did not believe. And God, God says, it's, it's upon us. He's faithful, always faithful. And no command of God is too little. You know? Chapter 4, verse 30, 31. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did signs in the sight of the people. Okay. In, in, in Kerala, if you look at some of those, this particular group of Pentecostals, it's very interesting. It's very, I realize this is where it came from. Okay. They will have two preachers. Okay. They'll have two preachers, but only one preachers. He's called Ubadeshi. You know what it means, preacher. He is called A to Badeshi. He preaches and he repeats. He preaches and he repeats. It also got to do with out of two witnesses, mouth of two witnesses, everything shall be established. So imagine me here and Derek over here. And I will say, thus says the Lord. He will say, thus says the Lord. Repent. And he will say, repent. Okay. But he's not the preacher. He never studied the word. He did not prepare for the word. His job is only to repeat. Okay. So who is Aaron? The repeater. Who received the word of God? And that's what God is saying. You know what? The world is Christian church is full of repeaters. <laughs> they never studied. They never went into their closet. They never did their hard work. They never heard from God. Somebody else is here and they repeat. It also has its function. God still uses everything. But he says the crown that is for Moses, will Aaron will not receive. Though every word that came out of his mouth was identical to what Moses spoke. The difference is Moses heard from God. Aaron heard from Moses. And there is a whole lot of difference between these two. One is an original, the other is a Xerox. So we can have both. We can have Moses' ministry and Aaronic ministry. But the problem with Aaronic ministry is this. It doesn't matter how many times you repeat Moses' words and how many times you replicate Moses' miracles until you encounter Moses' God. When Moses is not there, you will still fashion that golden calf. 
Because nothing can substitute in your life with a personal encounter with this God. Nothing can substitute. You can go to Bible college, you can memorize the whole scripture, you can learn every great preacher and preach their messages. People get saved and all. But at the end of the day, what makes you you is your encounter with God. Because God will tell right from the beginning, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Meaning each one of them heard me and I revealed myself to them. And I did not limit myself to them. They limited me. I don't limit myself to anybody. I don't limit anybody. It is not that I am the God of Abraham, so after that I will show only little less of myself to Isaac. No. I can show, reveal more of me than which Abraham did not want. Did not want. I can reveal even more to Jacob, more than Abraham and Isaac, and Jacob will say at the end, the blessings of your father is gone more than your ancestors. He overshoots his father and grandfather and goes further. Even his son Joseph. <laughs> he sees much more clearly when he's blind than his son could see. So God says there is nobody who restricts me in your life other than you. And we should be hungry for that personal encounter with God. Even the young ones, new ones are all listening. Don't get uh, all upset by all these things by saying, but there is. Little, little bit. Not that in one day it took Moses, so many years to have that encounter. But you should be hungry for that encounter. That is the key. You should be hungry for that encounter. And God will know when to satisfy that hunger. You know, it's like a mother. After the child has been there for a few months and this thing and all, she knows the cry. Oh, that's nappy is wet. That one is hungry. That one, a bubble is moving in the stomach. She knows the cry. She doesn't change the nappy when the child is crying for milk. She knows, by now she knows. She even knows how to distinguish the cries. Each cry is not the, the same. Okay, the cry is the same. In the same way, God knows when you are hungry enough. No, He's more interested in revealing himself to us than, and we will say, Lord, the time is right. God says, no, my son, it's not right. Scripture says, in the fullness of time, Christ came. That's absolutely right time. He could sit there in the armchair and said he should have come in this BC and that AD and all. God says, no, you have no clue. Absolutely at the perfect time, my son came. So we just ask, Lord, cause me to hunger. Cause me to hunger. It is not that you cannot be hungry for other things, but no appetite, no hunger should supersede this, then you are not ready. Our issue is that we get hungry for other things which are hungers put in us by God. So, a lot of hungers which is put in there by God. But there is one hunger which is eternal. That is the hunger for righteousness. That is eternal. Because all the days of my life and all of eternity we will be still getting to know God's righteousness, God's holiness, God's character, God's nature. And if that hunger doesn't supersede every other hunger, then we will not learn how to control these hungers to move in that other one. Then we will know when to fast because this, I'm hungry for righteousness and righteousness which I want, I'm not getting. I am going to fast from this so that I can move in this. Then our prayer gets empowered, our fasting gets empowered, everything gets empowered because you know what? This is defining us. 
Our hunger and thirst for righteousness is divine. Then God is able to add everything. Suddenly we realize we finished six days fasting, seven days fasting. It's not a community fasting, it's a personal fasting. The seventh day you get invited for a meal and everything you wanted to eat is sitting over there. You say, how did this come in? God says, because you pursued this, this comes in. All the things in life God keeps on adding, 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 adding. And you're wondering how he says, you, I told you, seek this. Seek this. And God knew that I right time had come for Moses. And once he starts moving, everything that happens is added for Israel. You know why everything is added for Israel? It's Israel added through one man, and that one man seeks only one thing. He only wants to know God. He says, if your presence doesn't come from in, I will not move from this wilderness. It is your presence that I sought. And Israel has no clue. Everything that is happening in his, in their midst as a community is happening because one man is seeking God with all his heart, all his might, all his strength. One man. One man. And our God is always a God of one man. You look through the pages of Bible, it is because one man or one woman stands up. And I'm telling you, the whole junk that is happening on the streets of America, you know when it will stand? It will stop when one man or one woman stands up and says, enough is enough. They stand up and they create a counter movement of righteousness and of holiness and say, this is it. We cannot stop. Then the church, which is covered and silent and scared, that's a huge majority, the silent majority. But they have, they are, they are like sheep without a shepherd. But if a, one man rises up and says, hey, this has got nothing to do with Black Lives Matter anymore. This has got to do with a communist socialist agenda to take over the last nation standing. Every nation has fallen. That was of God. Only one nation is. And this is an agenda to take this nation down. Under my watch, it will not happen. I will stand with God and God will stand with him. And all these weak ones will rally around them. You need a political figure, yes, but you need a spiritual figure too. And I don't see anybody. Everybody is scared. Everybody is scared. You know? And then it will begin. That's what happened in India. Once... Gandhi was not a political figure. He was a spiritual figure. And that was his strength. Spiritual figure. And it was around him that the nation rallied. Today we don't have any. We have political figures. And they try to speak great and big words and we know it's all empty air. And because the people are empty, they follow them. But the people of our fathers were not empty people. Even the simple people you see in those black and white pictures who fed the villages and all were moved by the movement because the movement had ideals. Now we have no ideals. We have no ideals. You know? And God is talking about no one man. We think God is hearing the cry, hearing the cry, the cry of Israel is going, but you know what God is doing? God is working. It's a Lord, where are you working? Don't you hear our cry? He says, yes, I'm working on one man. Working on one man. Because he is the one who will, I will use to deliver. And God has always worked on one man through the Bible. One man in their own communities. Now we look at the world in communities. One man. One man. It's not a worldwide. I'm talking about now in terms of communities. God's communities. He looks for one man who will say, I'm willing to forsake everything and lose everything. And in his case, he lost everything. He lost Egypt. He lost his wife. He lost his children. They don't follow him. You don't see Gershom and Eliezer in part of any of God's plan. You don't see. He lost everything. But what he gained, <laughs> what he gained is no comparison 
to what he lost. He gained God. He gained God. That's what God is talking about. Just think about it. Aaron and Moses talking, walking, and he will hear from Aaron what's happening to Israel. And Aaron will hear from Moses about this God of their fathers and their reach and everything. Few days earlier, just rewind a few days earlier, that day had begun like every other day for 40 years. It is stick. And then a fire. Then he turns. Everything changes. You know everything changed? Because he heard the voice of God. Knock, knock. Now you don't knock once, you know, you knock, knock. Have you noticed? Every time you knock, Moses, Moses, you open the door. Life was never the same again. Life will never be the same again. And it is the same God who says, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. Will you open? Will you hear? Life will never be the same again. Not only for him, for the whole world. Till never, never, never. And that's what we need to pray for, Lord. Prepare me, Lord. Prepare me to encounter you. Lord, I want to encounter you. Don't say that first. Remember, there was a guy at the wedding banquet who was not dressed. And he also encountered the king. And he said, throw that fellow out. Throw that fellow out. Lord, I don't want to encounter you until you have prepared me to encounter you. Prepare me, O Lord, to encounter you. Prepare me, Lord, to encounter you. And God is with him. So don't look at the problems of life. Look to God. Look to God. Right? Look to God. There's a truth as we come to the end. Daniel chapter 4. There's a truth Daniel will say in 4.35. All the inhabitants of earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? I like it in NIV. Simpler English. What does it say? All the people of earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold his back his hand or say to him, what you have done. Nobody can. And that's it. He picks a shepherd from the wilderness, gives him a stick. And he marches into Israel, to Egypt with a stick. What are you? What are you? What are you, powers of darkness? You think you enslaved my people for 450 years? And what do you think? You're going to enslave my people? Take my people out. No casualties on the way, by the way. Not a single Hebrew died. Nobody died. They took them out. And this man will become everything that we have been looking for. He will be a man of prayer. Israel will be entirely dependent upon his prayer. He will be a man of power when he lifts the rod. Oh boy, nations trembled. Oceans parted. When he opened his mouth and made a proclamation, that was it. Then to withdraw it, the Pharaoh had to bend his knee before him and plead, please withdraw it. We talk about praise, we talk about power, we talk about prayer, we talk about proclamation. And when the Red Sea is parted and the entire nation crosses through, you will have the song of Moses. You will have praise. You will have praise. And who was it? 
just like anybody. That's all God is talking about. He says, that's the call of God over a man or a woman's life. And as I close, final words for today, Genesis 2, 7. And the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils and the breath of life and the man became a living being. You will say, what has this got to do with the entire message today, right? Where did we come back to Genesis? He took man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils and man became a living being. Then man fell. He was taken out of the dust of the earth. So there was always the pull of the flesh down and the pull of the spirit up. And God says, which will win? At 40, it was the pull of the flesh to do things in the way of the flesh. At 80, it's the pull of the spirit up. The two pulls of a man. Pull down, the pull up. And he says, let go. Let me take you along. Amen. Amen. 40 years earlier, Moses must have prayed about the state of Israel in Egypt. Maybe also self-pity about his state in the wilderness for 40 years. We sometimes think prayer is not, prayer is not the way to get God do what you want. Nope. Prayer is to make us an instrument to make God do what he wants. 40 years he must have been praying, Lord, Lord, my people, Lord, your people, Lord, my your people, Lord, deliver them, Lord. That's how we pray, no? Lord! Basically, in other words, you are saying, I've seen a situation, I have a plan for it, answer, Lord. And God says, no. You don't understand what prayer is. <laughs> prayer is to make me your Lord so that you can do your work through me, Lord. Now Moses' prayer can be answered. So God comes and says, I've heard the cry. Now you go. I've heard your cry. Now you go. You are ready. You are my answer to the prayers. Amen. And we all have to say, Lord, make me an answer to your prayer. The cry of your people. You have a plan. The people are crying in the world. I want to be your answer. Whichever way, it may look small, it may look big, it does not matter. And then as we let go of things, God will add the people we need. He may take some people out, he may add some people in, later he may bring the same people back. He knows when to bring those people back when they are ready. Okay, He knows it all. So you don't have to worry about it. All you have to see is that your heart is right, your mind is focused. Shall we pray? Father, this morning... We just come to you, Lord. We just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. We just want to worship you, Lord. For the lives of your people here, Lord. There is a call of God upon every man, woman, child who knows you. And I pray the cry of every heart would be, Lord, prepare me to be that vessel, Lord. Some are called to lead. Some are called to walk alone along with the ones who have been called to lead, to lift their hands up when they are tired. Some may leave, some may be added. But I pray, Lord, you will help us to keep our heart and mind focused on the big picture. The big picture is 
thy name, thy kingdom, and thy will. And let everything in our life revolve around it, O oh Lord. Everything will fall into place. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Once again, I commit the church into their hands. Be with your people. Empower your people. In all their ways, guard your people. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.